when you're with a group of children and they are dawning on knowledge, when knowledge is like they're all of a sudden going, oh my gosh, I get it. It's really fun. I would say that when you can work in an environment where children are having these experiences regularly, it's probably one of the best professions you could have. Hello and welcome to Working Well, a podcast series with a diverse group of educators from across the country discussing how to improve the well-being of the workforce. I'm Mindy Wiseman with the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments, or NESLE. In this episode, NESLE Training Specialist Melanie Goodman speaks with Dr. Patricia Jennings, Professor of Education from the University of Virginia. They discuss elevating the profession of teaching and how implementing changes at a systems level can have a profound impact on the well-being of educators. But they begin their conversation talking about teacher burnout and what to do about it. A few years ago, my publisher asked me to write a book on teacher burnout. It was right around the time also that I was starting to hear feedback about the mindfulness and compassion-based programs that I had been involved in developing in that that they, they're not enough, you know, that you that it, it lays this burden on the teacher. And so I was thinking about that in the back of my mind while I was writing this or working on this book. And as I started working on it and looking at the more recent burnout literature, it dawned on me that this book is not going to be, nobody's going to want to read this book because the, the, the story is very depressing, you know, and I thought I've got to find a way of approaching this that has some hopefulness to it, that doesn't lay the responsibility of burnout on the teacher, that actually um, acknowledges and identifies the other stressors that teachers do not have control over and gives teachers some, some way of addressing that. So that empowering them in a way that helps them see that not only are they experiencing, is this experience of a system, broken system real and really uh, creating stress for them, but there are ways in which they could address that problem, that systemic problem. It isn't putting the responsibility on them, but it's giving them some autonomy to right. think and you about had, it. And you had said empowerment, it. which I think is a whole reframe on this notion of, uh, you know, responsibility, which I think is interesting. When I started, then I started looking at it from a systems perspective. Right. And it became really clear to me, if you think about learning and what we know about learning, um, the science of learning that, you know, has, has evolved and developed for the last mainly, I would say, 50 years, and you were going to create an environment that would optimize learning, it would be really different than the system that we have right now. Because in many ways, the system we have right now actually interferes with the learning process. Now, now it, it is a combination of, of many big systems, right? Because each school district is unique and has some autonomy uh, to do the things that it wants to do, but it's also controlled at, in, at two different levels. It's controlled at the state level, and then it's also controlled at the federal level. Right. So it, there's there's a lot of control mechanisms that make it difficult to break out of the system and try things new. 
But the good news is because in the United States, there is some local autonomy, there are some instances where schools are starting to break away from that mold and try different things. It's hard to get traction from those. Uh, you know, they get started often they're, you know, charter schools, you know, they're not part of the norm, but it is, that is growing. So I'm just wondering how are or can research that you're working on, or, you know, others are working on kind of contribute to this need? That's a really good question. Um, there are organizations that are trying to support the autonomous learn teaching and learning processes that I think are really critical to our ability to shift because we know from psychological research, when the needs are met for autonomy, competence, and relatedness, we are more intrinsically motivated and we're and, and our well-being is improved. This all comes from the self-determination theory. Um, and lately there have been some studies that have looked at self-determination theory in the context of teachers and, and teacher development. And what happens often in these cases where, um, like the, the pandemic, teachers were given a lot of autonomy because they kind of had to. They right. they were teaching however they were, could do it in, you know, with using Zoom, they had to be really creative and innovative. On top of that, students were given more autonomy because they were at home. They could turn their cameras off if they didn't want to be there. You know, um, so students had a lot more autonomy. You go back to school and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're supposed to go back to how it was. And these control mechanisms start to operate again. And you, what you see, I think, is students incredibly unhappy with having to go back to being controlled all the time. <laughs> right. And, and teachers are feeling frustrated because they don't want to do that either. And they're feeling like the pressure is coming down on them. After having this autonomy, having get, been given to them and then having it taken away, I think that's why you're feeling this crisis right now. I think at this point, teachers are like, I don't want to go back to that. And I think students are feeling that way too. So do you think that's why teachers are leaving? I think that's part? one. Well, there's, yes. When, when you're intrinsically motivated, when you love your job, when you're getting, um, you feel like you have the autonomy to support your students in the way you, that feels right to you and build the relationships with the students in the way that you know works best for you and your students, um, it's incredibly rewarding. Uh, it feels yep. like you have a purpose, you know, right. when you're told, no, you have to do it this way. And I think when you add on the layer of like, now you can't talk about race, now you can't talk about gender issues. You know, when all of that is laid on top of you and you're like, well, now if a student talks about this, I can't talk about it. You know, if a student brings this in, I can't even address it. Otherwise, people will come down on me. Uh, you know, that's another layer of control that teachers are like, I've had it. You know, I can't. There's not. A, the other thing is, you know, you don't make enough money as a teacher for that to compensate for it. You know? In other professions, when it gets tough, people hang in there because, oh, well, you know, I'm making good money. But, you know, for a teacher, you look, you could make money, more money at Starbucks. So why am I doing this? You know? So what do you think? You're, I know you're setting off to do some, some research. You started to say, uh, of your yeah. own, but what do you, what Well, else? first of all, I'm going yeah. on sabbatical in the fall to really explore this because okay. I feel like. And the, this is what exactly? How, how to create a more, um, how to give more autonomy in learning environments. Okay. How to um, support students' self-directed learning and, and help teachers 
support student self-directed learning and and giving and to give to do that teachers need much more autonomy so um, i'm looking for places where this is going on and I have found uh, an organization called the Human Restoration Project. <laughs> it's an interesting name. They are doing um, projects all over the United States, but they have one going on in Michigan where they're going to um, start a school within a school. They're in a middle school. Um, they're going to recruit half of the six, incoming sixth grade, and they're going to have a project-based uh, student autonomous learning going on in that sixth grade and they're going to see how it goes you know and they've got four teachers they've identified that are going to be doing this the the there are going to be some individual classes um but most of the learning is going to be integrated so you know the content area isn't going to be siloed the students are going to have opportunities to direct their own learning in the ways that work for them um, and so I'm really curious in this context, it gives us an opportunity um, to do a kind of natural experiment because half of the sixth graders will be in the regular sixth grade and the other half will be in this sort of innovative self-directed program. So it'll give us a chance to see how that goes. Unfortunately, there's only four teachers in this project. So yeah, and are they teachers that are already in the system in the in the regular system that are yes. new? Uh -huh. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're already existing teachers that have been have volunteered because That's they okay. want to do this. So yeah, it's not a perfect experiment. I mean, you know, but it gives me the first step like a pilot and thinking through how might we change the system, you know, from mm -hmm. inside. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things I also talked about in my book was when teachers realize that that they do have a little bit more agency than they thought or a little more leverage than they thought because of the teacher shortage. Like if I'm a teacher right now and my state, which many, many states are having a crisis, I have more leverage. I can go to my principal and say, hey, I don't want to teach like this anymore. The other thing that's very um, oppressive in schools is the time demands. You've got, you know, you only have 40 minutes, maybe 50 minutes to get through a lesson or a project. And that's not enough time for a lot of children. You know, children vary by the speed in which they, in, you know, process information. And so this, the way we do it assumes standard ways of thinking about things. And my experience has been sometimes kids need to focus on something for a really long time. And they, and in that way, they deeply learn something, especially if they're really interested in it. If a student is really keen on learning something and you give them a whole day, their learning is amazing. But right. if you try to junk it up, chunk it up into 50 minute sessions over a month, they, you have to keep learning and relearning because you forget something you learned yesterday. So whatever we can do to keep alive that motivation, that intrinsic drive to learn things, I think that's a really good thing. The system itself denies students that even that that, that even exists. It doesn't trust children to be self-motivated. It doesn't trust teachers to support that process. Kind of on a positive note, maybe there has, and you mentioned it already that, you know, be, because of what of the disruption during the pandemic, things kind of cracked open, right? Where, you know, just do whatever works kind of attitude, try this. And there was experimentation and some innovation. What do you think will be continued? You know, what, what might stick around? I mean, what I'm hearing is that most of the 
reaction is going back to control that, you know, in most cases, although there is a kind of desperation out there that I hear from school leaders that, you know, we've, we've got to solve this problem, but the, the tendency it, when, when things are challenging, difficult, the tendency is to go back to a system that of control, which is kind of the wrong thing to be doing right yeah, now. Right, right. Um, it also depends on the resources that the community has. Um, I think more well-resourced communities are doing, are more flexible and are trying, you know, different things. Places where there isn't a lot of, there aren't a lot of resources, especially now as they're losing teachers um, and they're trying to fill in holes and they don't have enough personnel. That doesn't give them any wiggle room to try anything new because they don't, you know, they're grasping for, you know, maybe marginally qualified people to do things in their school just to keep the door open, you know, which doesn't lend itself to doing creative, innovative things. So what do you think are some things that school systems could be doing right now in this context that you haven't maybe already mentioned in terms of trying to hang on to some of these um, kind of promising approaches that were experimented with and kind of giving up a little control? The teacher (laughs) profession needs to be further professionalized Mm -hmm. uh, and there needs to be a career pathway for teachers. Right now, you know, if you're a seasoned teacher, you're, you've basically hit a glass ceiling unless you want to become an administrator. But an admi- being an administrator is really different than being a teacher. It's a really different role. And in fact, I'm not sure teachers always make the best administrators. <laughs> right. So if you haven't had in a school a cadre of these really senior teachers who could be considered mentor teachers, who would support the growth and development of the newer incoming staff, rather than being in charge of their own class, or maybe partially being in charge of a class, but also supervising, or let's say I was one of these mentor teachers, I could have a really new teacher with me who would learn alongside me, who would also be able to give me a break when I needed it, but also, you know, so that you wouldn't (laughs) feel like you could never take a break. Because the other part of that not being able to take a break is you can't tap out when you're having a challenging situation with a student. When you know, look, I shouldn't be talking to this student right yeah. now. Yeah. I just, I've had it, you know, could you take over? I think you'd be better positioned and, and Tish, to do that, that. That doesn't happen now with like, no, te- at all with, with, with teachers, like student teachers in the classroom or anything like that with it. Well, with a- some teachers who are very smart realize that they need neighbors and, you mm-hmm. know, student teacher neighbors to help them in these situations. For example, they'll send a student like that to the neighbor teacher with a note and the mm-hmm. note will say, can this student stay with you for a while? Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that really is yeah. a, a skillful way of dealing with whatever the issue is. It's a way of it's not avoiding it. either. Yeah. It's a, mm-hmm. Yes, it's just like, get this kid out of my hair. I mm-hmm. can't deal with it. It's not like meeting the actual needs of that student in that situation. So if you had these senior mentor teachers that could build these pathways where they could make by the time they're at that level, you know, over $100,000 or something like a real professional salary, whereas the incoming teachers who start out at, uh, I don't know, 40 would see they had a pathway, you know, that they could grow into. And if, if, you know, after a few years, they realize, well, you know, I don't think this is for me, or I do want to take the administrator route. I'll go that way. They have more options available to them. 
Um, and they're seen as growing professionals rather than, you know, sort of a stagnant uh, role that is always controlled by this system. Right. This would also give schools an opportunity to experiment with other ways of teaching and learning because the senior um, people would have enough experience and understanding of student learning that they would know, okay, why don't we open up our time frame here? We don't need these 40, 50 minute periods. Let's rearrange our school time. If teachers are given some opportunity to take leadership roles in thinking through that as a community, if the principal and the superintendent allow them to have these conversations about how can we facilitate deeper learning here? Mm -hmm. um, we think the time frame isn't working. We think that it's creating more stress. It's not helping learning. Um, that, like, that would be one experience. Mm -hmm. it, that's an example of how it could be. They could be empowered and also further professionalized. How? Why can't that just happen? I mean, what's what's the obstacle to that? Is it just will, <laughs> or is it? I mean, is it? Would that be hard to institute in in a school? You know, that's a really good question, and I think that's a good question for a principal. Let's say okay. because. I think the principals are in a way stuck between a rock and a hard place because mm -hmm. they are accountable to the superintendent. The superintendent is basically has these certain expectations for them. At the same time, they've got all the demands coming from the bottom, uh, you know, depending on whatever district they're in and what kinds of mandates have been placed on them, they may feel like they don't have the freedom to experiment with these things. However, I'll bet, and I'm not sure of this, but I'm betting that as this teacher shortage grows, the leadership is going to have to give them more capacity to recruit and maintain the kind of staff they want. And if the teachers stay, you know, can express, this is what we need, this is how I think we need to be teaching and our students need to be learning, that people will listen uh, because they'll see, wait a minute, you know, if we don't shift we're going to lose our teaching staff. They're just not going to do it anymore. Looking at the system through a systems thinking lens, one of the things when you do that, when you take a systems perspective of educational environments, you see that this, this mismatch that I, that I started talking about, because learning is a very dynamic system. It's very um, complicated, and there, there are many feedback loops that are complex and they vary by individual, by age, by developmental need in any particular point in time. Uh, they vary a lot across age even, or within age even. And this is this dynamic system has been sort of stuffed in this very linear mechanical system that doesn't work. So can we as school leaders start looking at ways like time, time is one, one variable in this mechanical system that you could easily, I would I say easily in air quotes, reform. How about age? That's another one. Could we mix age groups? I know schools are experimenting with that. Having worked in a mixed age classroom myself, I know that in many ways, when you have, uh, you know, maybe a age band of three years or two years, you, you have more students that can help the younger ones so that the burden is, isn't on the teacher so much. So individualized learning is easier to manage because you've got helpers. <laughs> and when an older student helps a younger student, it, it reinforces their learning instead right. of reviewing everything else it does for them. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here, you know, here's two places, the way we structure time, the mm-hmm. way we separate students age. by age. Uh, another one that people I know are experimenting with is this siloed um, content. Can we see that social studies and language arts are actually natural partners? And I know this is happening in many places um, where the language arts and the and the social studies people are working together to 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 engage students in learning in ways that reinforce one another. When you do that, you start to see all of a sudden points of excitement where students can go, oh, I thought I hated math. I can apply math over here and it's really interesting, you know? I think look at those variables. Look at the system, the stagnant factory model system. Where, where there are barriers like time, like um, siloed content, like age differentiation. Oh, you know, and also, uh, you know, to add to all that, a real shift in understanding of learning as a intrinsic self-motivated process rather than an extrinsic fill their head with knowledge way of thinking. So like that's a real shift uh, that would be, I think, necessary ultimately to see the shift we want. That's right. And I would imagine much more gratifying for teachers. Oh, to much be more. In an environment where, you know, that was the intent. You know, when you see children, and I've had this experience, when you're with a group of children and they are dawning on knowledge, when knowledge is like they're all of a sudden going, oh my gosh, I get it. I understand something. And I'm really excited about it. And sometimes it's not even anything that you planned. (laughs) It just happens. It is the most rewarding. It is just thrilling to see children learn Um, because they, when they are motivated and are, are excited about learning, it's really fun. I would say that when you can work in an environment where children are having these experiences regularly, it's probably one of the best professions you could have. Working Well is brought to you by the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments at the American Institutes for Research. This podcast is funded by the U.S. Department of Education. If you'd like to learn more about Nestle, visit safesupportivelearning.ed.gov. For all questions or feedback, you can email us at nestle at air.org. Thanks for listening. Please note, The contents of this podcast do not necessarily represent the policy or views of the U.S. Department of Education, nor does it imply endorsement by the U.S. Department of Education.